You're listening to There's a Better Way, smart talk on healthcare and technology. If you're up for energizing and story-driven conversations with national healthcare leaders driving industry innovation across the country, then you are in the right place. Today's guest was recognized as the 2021 Direct Trust Interop Hero and 2022 HIMSS Most Influential Women in Health IT. She has over three decades of experience working to enable the interoperable exchange of health information in America. Our guest is none other than Dee Dee Davis, who I am thrilled to welcome to our show. As she describes it, the arc of her career has been a journey in serendipity. Today, Didi works at the Sequoia Project as Vice President of Informatics Conformance and Interoperability. But when she was starting out, healthcare was just starting to harness the power of computers. Back then, she says, less than 20% of hospital systems even had an electronic health record. Didi tells us about riding a wave of serendipity from when the idea of interoperability was just an idea to where we are today. Let's dive in to hear how Didi is taking this idea and making it a reality so that patients, providers, public health, and more have the clinical information they need when they need it. Hi, Didi. It's so great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you for the gracious invite. How did you get into this healthcare technology world? I call it a journey of serendipity, I guess. Um, I happen to be at the right places at the right time, but uh, my healthcare career uh, started a little over 30 years. I started working in a hospital, a university hospital health system for four years. So got to learn about the internals of how hospitals work and the departments. Other than being born in a hospital, I knew nothing about healthcare and hospital systems at all. From there, I went into the vendor world. I actually started working for a vendor. It was a dot-com startup company in, in Palo Alto, California, named OmniCell Technologies. I was the second field person hired at that organization. So I actually got to learn about nursing workflows and clinician actual materials and pharmacy drugs and, and, and so forth that were housed inside these OmniCell units. So for about four years, um, in-service nurses at two in the morning learned how their workflows could be optimized with materials and access to them. Went from there to uh, working, actually starting to use my computer science degree. So my degree is in computer science and went to work for a small uh, boutique consulting company, about 200 people, literally actually writing code. So I went from you know, graduating, never touching code to actually writing those HL7 interfaces to make things move across. Went from there to working for HIMSS National. I started what is known now as the Interoperability Showcase. The actual first showcases, not only here in the United States, but in Europe and in Asia, was in charge of the standards work that HIMSS was helping facilitate for the International Organization of Standards, ISO, um, as well as integrating the healthcare enterprise IHE. So uh, went from there to starting my own company, and I actually called it Serendipity Health because I felt like I had always been at the right place to learn from some of the best in the industry. Lots of different uh, contracts and 
work that I had been doing. That led me to a contract with Sequoia and the Sequoia project. Uh, I started as a contractor and now I've been employed by Sequoia for over 10 years. What were you doing in the hospital and what were some of the stories that led you to focusing on, you know, the interoperability work that you focus on now? So I found at that time, you know, healthcare was just starting to leverage and harness the power of computers. Um, but we started finding areas that could be actually optimized, like the pharmacy, as an example, for tracking, you know, nurses used to have to count between each shift change, the medications that were narcotics, being able to have that behind some lock system, and being able to inventory that and being able to account for who got in from, you know, got the whether it was IV solution additions, things like that. And that was really eye-opening, really learning how a hospital works, but also finding ways that we could optimize some of those workloads. That's why I went to OmniCell, because some of these things we were, you know, that I was experiencing, I found, well, these are ways and solutions to do that. How can I affect that change a little bit more for the, the public good, not only for the hospital I was working at, but other organizations across the U.S.? And then I find it kind of interesting that you are using HL7 interfaces to bring the various organizations that Eclipsis had acquired together internally. And that was your early, that was probably your early interoperability work, right? It really was. Eclipsis was really the launching pad. That's where I started working with the standards organizations. You mentioned that you are founder of the Interoperability Showcase, something that is near and dear and important to SureScripts. Can you talk about what it is and why it's so important? So the very first Interoperability Showcase that we held was in 2004. And there were just a handful of vendors. And the very first one we had, we did in combination with HL7 and kind of branched off from there. The Showcase today has hundreds of systems interoperating and showing what they call vignettes, basically stories around uh, healthcare interoperability. And that was the focus, was thinking about all things interoperability. That would include radiology systems, cardiology systems, laboratory systems, any of the data, uh, pharmacy systems, any of that type of data that's really needed to make that right information, uh, you know, available to the clinician to make the best decisions possible. The goal was to really paint a picture of what was possible because all this wasn't real yet. In fact, back then, you know, less than 20% of hospital systems even had an electronic health record to be able to move this type of data around. So the goal was to conceptualize it, to show it, to prove it out, to do a proof of concept using the different, what I call Lego blocks, those interoperability profiles that you need to be able to make this end-to-end solution, uh, exchange data securely, but ubiquitously at the same time. Before we dive deep into interoperability, you describe yourself as a bit of a free spirit, and that served you very well in your health IT space with lots of meaty problems. Can you share a bit of what you mean by that? And then we'll head into the important interoperability work. For those who met me in person, um, I tend to be colorful in lots of jewelry and bling anyway. So I, I think that's a fitting description. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to work for the Sequoia Project, being able to bring feedback from the real world, 
and implementations, um, items that we actually are seeing as interoperability pain points, bring visibility to them, helping improve the standards that the organizations like HL7, like IEG, like DICOM for imaging, seeing how they can actually improve their own standards based on real world feedback. What we're focused on right now is a lot of the data quality and usability of that data, helping advance that. Um, but overall, I'm able to be at the table either in a state discussion or with health information exchanges or with vendors. I actually am part of conversations all over the U.S., helping hopefully not only educate them on what's possible, but also bringing back their message to help improve what they see as pain points. Can you give me a definition of interoperability and perhaps a personal story that will help illuminate what that means to our listeners. Yeah. So I think of the IEEE and meaningful use actually point to kind of the similar definition. That's being able to exchange data, but make it be able to be used into the workflow that the clinician or physician, whoever is interacting with the IT system can actually leverage. So not only being able to exchange complete information, but make it usable and useful to the first person receiving the data. And that could be a patient, that could be a caregiver, it could be a provider. Um, thinking about this from a personal story, I do have a mother-in-law who's 85 years old, and she fell into a broke her hip right before COVID. So using her as an example, um, she is a, a, a veteran, so she gets most of her health care from the VA. But being able to get that historical information to the hospital when she'd fallen and broken her hip was very critical for them to understand all of the other healthcare issues and problems that she has in her, you know, in, in her world um, so that they could allow for that while they're taking care of her and, and hopefully being able to make sure that the outcome from the surgery, the know, fixing her hip and so forth, which would then lead to physical therapy and rehabilitation. But having that data move from place to place so that they could give her the optimal care, understanding what what can she do. Uh, when she left the hospital, she couldn't yet, you know, walk completely by herself without help, being able to get into rehabilitation and all that data after she finished that encounter at the hospital needed to go back to her primary care provider at the VA so that they could help her along her journey post-surgery, post-recovery and so forth. So that's an example of why data and interoperability is so critical because it not only provides a picture, a patient summary of what they're going, you know, something's going on when you have a new patient, but also being able to help them with their outcomes, making sure that they're as successful as possible moving forward. So that's an example right. of interoperability at, in practice. So to speak. That's a good example. And I've, I've told this before, but I'll say again, like when I moved to Washington, D.C. from Boston, where I'd spent most of my adult life, it was about six years ago. And before we moved, I went around to any provider we had seen, my family, myself, and collected paper copies of our medical record because I was really concerned that all this history would be lost and I would be chasing it from DC. And I thought it'd be easy. So I came armed with my stack of paper. That was six years ago. Now this year, when I had a blood test in one facility using one EHR 
and it needed to go to the other EHR. Yes, it took a little bit of cajoling, but it eventually did go to that other EHR in a usable fashion. It didn't just go as a PDF because I could see the results in my record so that I could see that it was showing as data. And that to me is progress. Absolutely. That discrete data is what those decisions are made on, quite frankly. What do you see is the biggest challenge to achieving that exchange of health information nationwide that we need? The biggest challenge is something Sequoia is working on now, I'm proud to say, um, data usability. Basically, unanimously, everyone decided that data usability and quality were the, the main focus. Now that we have all these ubiquitous electronic health records and systems, at least in health hospitals and in smaller organizations, including some of those specialty clinics and so forth, now that they're all adopting that, we need to get the data that's in there usable. Um, so we focused, uh, started in 2020, focusing on data usability, and we took you know, a survey from industry, we were given 34 different pain points across the industry, things for public health, for provider to provider exchange, maybe healthcare entity to consumer, being able to to bring all these things together. Um, Pulling the 34 pain points into six topic categories, we published an implementation guide in December of last year. And now we're working on helping it take root uh, using the Sequoia analogy in place. So I think that, in my mind, is the biggest um, obstacle right now, getting the data not only in the highest quality laboratories, those labs that you mentioned earlier, being able to make sure that they have a code, a LOINC code associated to them. So when a computer receives a, a complete blood count, a CBC, it knows exactly what those elements are based on the code rather than what it's called because one hospital CBC may be different than another hospital CBC. So being able to have that semantic interoperability enabled um, is very important. Let me just get this, get this clear here. I think an analogy might be when I just said that I brought my paper documents to my doctor, they probably were only slightly happy because now they've got a stack of paper and they're not that readable. They've got to look through them and find the relevant information and now they've got the information. So what do I do with it? And it's not unlike that when you're exchanging PDFs of, a, of someone's clinical information as well, right? It's too much data. Where's the important data? Data usability is striving to solve some of that, right? Exactly. Tagging it so that it's searchable, being able to reduce the impact of duplicates. A lot of these clinicians are getting duplicate data from all different sources. Think about those types of issues. So it's really, you know, data tagging and searchability, provenance. Where did the data come from? Do I trust where it came from? Um, Those are types of topic categories that we're focusing on. And that is the goal, really, to make it so that it in it helps them in their workflow, but also gives them that actionable information at the right time, at the right place. Great. Now, let's back up. You've talked about the Sequoia Project a number of times. Can you give a primer on the Sequoia Project? What are you trying to accomplish there? In a one or two sentence uh, you know, statement, really, the Sequoia Project is a not-for-profit or nonprofit organization working for, to advance interoperability for the public good helping convene stakeholders that includes federal agencies, 
providers, as we mentioned earlier, healthcare systems, vendors, et cetera, trying to bring to table the, the actual problems around interoperability, things around information blocking that has been put out in regulation, helping educate industry around that. Um, helping with the data usability we mentioned. We have a public health work group. We have a consumer voices work group. So convening work groups to address what we call the challenges around interoperability, um, but also being able to hopefully help educate um, and bring back the feedback to those federal organizations uh, like CMS and others that put out regulations to hopefully help with that as well. And your title is Vice President of Informatics, Conformance, and Interoperability. Can you tell me a little bit about how those relate to each other? Yeah. So the informatics piece is that data usability and data quality. So that's kind of the informatics piece if you think about it from a data perspective. Examples of this is how the data should look if you're including this information. That's the informatics part. The conformance piece is the testing. So what I didn't mention about the Sequoia Project a few moments ago is we also do run eight different testing programs on behalf of different organizations. So we support a network known as eHealth Exchange, and we run content, transport, and security testing programs for them. We partner with the Radiological Society of North America and run a image exchange testing program for them. Um, Those are just examples. That's the conformance piece. We just, our latest testing program that we launched is part of our role as a recognized coordinating entity. I also didn't mention that a few moments ago. Uh, those folks who are following along and know the, the acronym TEFCA, the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. So conformance is testing those qualified health information networks to see if they're capable of doing what they need to do. And then the last piece of it, the interoperability is kind of the catch-all for everything else. Uh, We do provide advisory services to other countries. Um, We also are providing subject matter expertise to, you know, different states and organizations as they're navigating this interoperability. I wear different hats um, and sometimes different hats at different times. Let's talk about the Sequoia Project as the recognized coordinating entity for TEFCA. First, in your words, what is TEFCA? What is it supposed to achieve? So the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement actually was part of the 21st Century Cures Act that was put out. In that act, there was the possibility for the Office of the National Coordinator to actually create a framework. So think of TEPCA as a policy framework that enables this interoperability to happen from a policy perspective. So the policies so that you don't have to have individual business associate agreements between organizations, which can be costly from one hospital to another. With a framework like TEFCA, this is a one organization known as the Qualified Health Information Network signs the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement and flows down all those requirements to all of the sub-participants. So think of it as a policy framework for a network of networks is a good way to put it. Um, There is a public-private way of doing this today known as care quality. So anyone who knows anything about care quality, it is kind of a precursor to TEFCA. TEFCA is the government-endorsed version of a policy framework. But the goal is to make sure that all of the QHINs, those qualified 
health information networks have the same functionality. In other words, when you turn on the plumbing, you know the water works the same way in this house versus this house, and that each of those organizations will have the, the technical chops. Uh, there is a uh, QHEN technical framework that says these are the technical requirements that you will also need. So that's kind of as short as I can make it, um, you know, but trying to give a, a complete picture of what Kafka is looking to do. Yeah, you just made me think about the fact that at ShareScripts, we have almost 2 million providers and organizations on the network. And I can only imagine if those 2 million providers and organizations had to each connect to each other individually and what what a what chaos that might be in a bowl of spaghetti so i believe tefka with the qualified health information networks is trying to take that and really simplify it simplify what is a very complicated set of interactions right make it scalable absolutely where are we with tefka and what role does the sequoia project play as the recognized coordinating entity? Great question. So in 2019, the Office of the National Coordinator uh, chose and designated Sequoia Project as the recognized coordinating entity. And the role there is to really make it so that we are you know, neutral to making sure everyone meets the requirements of TEFCA, um, not only from a testing perspective, but also making sure that during the application process, vetting those applications so that there's proof of high trust to certification so that there's security in all processes and procedures that organization does. So the application for um, the TEFCA uh, process was launched in October of last year. We had six organizations initially sign up and there's some others that are in the queue right now. But six applications were vetted and on February the 13th in at the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, there was a large meeting of those six that actually all claimed that they would be live and in production by the end of this year. So they're all going through their testing process now. They've had their applications accepted. They're going through testing, which is a three-step process. Um, the first step is testing against conformance tooling, which Sequoia has put together and operationalized um, as the Sequoia Interoperability Testing Platform. And then they'll do peer-to-peer -peer testing with each other. And then from there, they'll do at least one production exchange of data before they're given the green light and designated fully as a QHIN. They're all candidate QHINs right now. We at SureScripts are, as you know, in the midst of applying ourselves. We recently had the National Coordinator for Health IT, Mickey Tripathi, on the, on the show. He was our first guest this season. And he said that if you didn't think 21st Century Cures Act was going to be hard and take a total mind shift to make happen, then you weren't paying attention. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that, 100%. <laughs> and what is the total mind shift? I think, you know... The, the shift is going to have to be thinking about all things interoperability, not just public health, not just physician exchange or clinicians, but thinking about the consumer, the patient as well, um, and helping them be able to make the best educated decisions necessary. But I think the innovation is going to lead to payment. You know, today, 
I don't know how many people have to refill all the information with their insurance and all of that all together every single time they visit another uh, practice or clinician. But being able to have that data where they already know what their copay is going to be. They understand what this is going to cost them, um, making that more transparent uh, overall, making sure that the, the patient is in the heart of it, but also involved in their own treatment. Hopefully that will help with some of the accountability, but I do think the shift is going to have to happen where patients are going to want to be involved, more involved. And I think the next generation of folks that are coming in, I'm on that, you know, that, that line of I'm very healthcare savvy, but I'm also IT savvy. My 85 year old mother-in-law is not. So we need to, to get that shift happening and that's where consumerism enters this whole picture. You talked about the, the, the consumer voices group that the Sequoia Project has going right now. How does that, is that where this interplay is coming and the work that you're doing? We're all patients, whether we're a healthy patient or a sick chronic patient or a caregiver to someone, we're all patients at some point in time. So I think being able to get those voices heard, but also thinking about their viewpoint. That's very important. Um, and right now, consumers don't have a voice in all different areas. So we're helping ele- elevate that, helping bring those to the table uh, so that we can inform things like tech in the future, being able to help those folks as things you know, continue to evolve and, and help the IT systems continue to get better. In 2022, you were named one of HIMSS's most influential women in health IT. Congratulations, by the way. Healthcare is full of meaty problems, and you've been tackling one of the meatiest in health IT interoperability. What advice would you give to anyone listening to this podcast who wants to step in and really make a difference in healthcare? I guess my piece of advice would be to find something, if you are in healthcare, find what is that passion that you have? What is that cherish what makes you uniquely you find that passion find that purpose that you have that you can make a small difference all of us can make a difference whether we work in a healthcare system whether we're in servicing those nurses at two in the morning whatever we're doing in our role make sure to help hopefully not not only educate but also learn be that ongoing learning have that you know open-mindedness to learn and figure out new innovative ways. And when there is something that you think can be done better, bring out your voice, talk about it. A lot of times interoperability problems are something that could be configured a little differently. If you don't tell your vendor that I hate clicking through these six things, what I what if I could just click once? Maybe they can configure that. So never be afraid to ask, is there a better way to do this? Because guess what? Most of the time, there is something that can be done to improve that for you. So don't be afraid to ask questions, but also help evangelize and and help everybody else along the way. There sure is. There sure is usually a better way. So now this question could be about interoperability, but you can take it wherever you want it to go. What excites you most about healthcare and where we're at in healthcare today? Oh, what excites me the most that I'm finally starting to see a little bit of traction, I think, 
because I've been doing this a long time and I'm not a patient person. I like things to happen right away. Um, so I think, you know, what I'm excited about is I'm starting to see that cusp. I've, I've started seeing, you know, we're not just climbing the roller coaster all the way to the top. We're starting to find that we're going to have some, hopefully there's going to be some challenges. There'll be some dips along the way, but I'm starting to see some momentum. Now, 95% of the U.S. hospitals are connected. They have the ability to exchange data. They don't all know it and they're not all using plumbing as you know concretely as they could. But I'm starting to see that there is the ability to harness these IT systems. And I think that's what's giving me the excitement and the passion to push forward. I, you know, I keep joking to, to folks, I need to make healthcare better for when I retire and, and older and need healthcare for myself. So I'm really trying to help move that needle forward, not only for friends and family, but for my own health into the future. The word optimism comes to mind as, you know, you've got to look at these problems as opportunities to find a better way and be optimistic, in fact, that there is a better way. How do you get inspired? I guess I get inspired because I've always liked challenges. I like puzzles. I love putting puzzles together. I like seeing how I can help make a little bit of a change or hopefully help bring a picture to light. Um, you mentioned the implementation of uh, word that I used earlier. Uh, that's something HL7 has put together to try to, to, to find implementers and see what are those problems they're having and how can we improve that. In this case, we were creating examples for payers to exchange data like attachments. We were working with discharge summaries to get a good golden example of how to do that so vendors could learn from that. So I, I think what makes me excited is just seeing everyone else get the light bulb going off in their mind and saying, hey, this is something now that I've helped participate in and I can now use downstream with my organizations. Um, like Texas, for instance, the state of Texas helped us at the implementation of uh, across one of the tracks, trying to improve discharge summaries and the data that's exchanged. Because in the standards, there are certain required sections, but Texas feels like there's other pieces that are also equally important. So being able to maybe change the standard and making more things required and so forth. So helping improve those baby step things that can really affect change. I know ONC is doing that with the U.S. core data for interoperability, with versioning and so forth, but leveraging that to also help really, you know, improve things downstream. But that that continues to show, give me the excitement to see that there's new possibilities and keep figuring out what, what else can we do with what we have today. So picture yourself on the verge of retirement. What does healthcare in America look like and what are you most proud of having accomplished? What does healthcare look like? Well, it won't be done. I know that you know we're, we have more than a decade more to go, and I'm going to hopefully be retiring in about a decade or so. But I think the future is that the, the consumer or the patient is going to be more empowered. We're going to have access to the data, um, which not only includes that discrete, those labs that you were mentioning and things like that, but also the narrative notes, all of that information that I think us as patients should be able to leverage and know more about. Um, I think the system should include more of the administrative and the clinical data being combined so that both of those components are available, because that's one thing I struggle with today. Even though I see the clinical aspect improvement, 
improving. I don't see the administrative pieces being improved as much. Not to say that they're not possible. We just need to start making them meet in the middle. Um, so I think that that's going to be something. And then last but not least, I think that we'll be able to learn from the different, I, I, I'm not going to say aggregators, but that population health management, being able to hopefully get some quicker return on investment on, you know, being able to show now that I have the system, this is the value add that it's bringing. Great. Well, thank you, Didi. Thank you for being on the show and for sharing your expertise and your vision for the future. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been wonderful. It has really been a pleasure to have you on the show today, Didi. In our conversation today, I was struck by what you said about how we can all make a difference. You coach those listening to find your passion. If you work in healthcare, find that passion and find what makes you uniquely you so you can make a difference. And keep an open-mindedness to learn and to figure out new and innovative ways to improve healthcare. Didi, thank you for the work you're doing to turn the idea of interoperability into a reality. And thank you for being on our show. Thank you for listening in today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review. There's a better way. Smart talk on healthcare and technology. With your help, we'll continue to bring great conversations to the fore and to the wider listening public. Thank you.